Welcome to Frictionless Marketing, an exploration of how modern marketers are building their brands, reaching their audiences, and thriving in this post-advertising world. Today, we're sitting down with Wendy Goldberg, Chief Communications Officer at iHeartMedia. Wendy's professional journey led her to key marketing roles within various companies, including AOL, Time Warner, Six Flags, and Hearst. In today's interview, we'll dive into Wendy's multifaceted career, exploring how she became a pioneering figure in the tech world at a time when women in tech were still a rarity. We'll also discuss how her unique approach to life management has helped her excel across multiple industries. We also get into the innovative structure of iHeartRadio, the surprisingly enduring appeal of broadcast radio, and adapting to the challenges of a changing media landscape. Without further ado, please welcome Wendy Goldberg. Wendy, thank you for joining us. I'm excited to speak with you here today. Well, thanks. Thanks so much for having me. So I thought, given that we're meeting on a podcast format, that we would start by maybe talking a little bit about uh, your company, iHeartMedia, which has, I think, the largest audio reach in the country. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, we actually have more reach um, every month than most of it. I think any other media company, including Facebook and Google in the U.S. That sounds like the kind of, um, you know, owned channels, if you will, that most of the people that listen to this podcast would die to have access to. <laughs> um, but of course, it's a little different in that it's, it's the product you sell, it's the business you're in. Mm -hmm. So how do you think about using that reach in the context of communications on behalf of iHeartMedia as opposed to, you know, as the product? Well, it's, it's, it's twofold, really. So um, the main part of our business, which is broadcast radio, right? We have over 860 radio stations and over 160 markets in the U.S. And we reach 90% of all Americans every month. Um, that broadcast radio part of our business is regulated by the FCC. And we are licensed by the FCC to serve the public. And we take that very seriously. So from that perspective, our personalities, all our talent, all our teams in every station, their focus is on connecting to the community. And they serve as real mainstays of their local communities. And you may not know Ryan Seacrest personally or Elvis Duran, um, but you think you do. You have a pretty good sense of who these people are, what they stand for, and they talk to you every day. And you know where they are in times of emergency and crisis. Um, they talk to you. They tell you what to do, where to go, what's happening in your neighborhood. Um, they tell you all the news. They tell you who's coming to town. They tell you all the gossip. Um, and it's that connection that consumers have that we then can translate for our advertisers um, because these personalities, these DJs, whoever is on the air, our talk personalities, um, they are trusted friends and companions. And so we are able to connect marketers to audiences. We're able to serve our audiences um, with information and also with public service, um, which is a very big part of, of what we do in the markets. Uh, and, you know, in terms of communications, we're able to reach local and national we have a footprint locally and nationally but a lot of our strength is we're a national brand at iHeartRadio um and that's a consumer brand 
but the corporate brand is iHeartMedia. Mm-hmm. And so under that, you know, that corporate brand are a number of platforms, services, opportunities. Um, and so we can communicate, you know, to all of those audiences and advertisers externally. And then of course there's internal, right? We have our, our big employee base and um, our exec team communicates them with them on a regular basis as well. Now, from a from like a comms function standpoint, I'm really curious about this, just like operationally. I mean, 860 stations, you said, multiple platforms, some of these personalities, Ryan Seacrest could have a, a communications person all to himself. He probably does. You know, um, how do you, how are you structured? How do you support all of that from a communication standpoint? Um, my team, which is communications, corporate communications, that function, um, we see everything that goes out. We may not necessarily, you know, we, we provide, for example, if a station or a market has something they want to convey, they write it, they send it to us. We provide them with information. We provide them with templates. We make sure everything is accurate, that has the right quotes. And, you know, and uh, we send it back to them to send out. Um, on a national level, we do everything you know, from my team. And it is really interesting because in a company our size, it is not a very big team. Um, But that means that we have very close control and oversight. And that's why everybody knows that if they have something that's going out publicly, it must come through us. And it does. Um, And so from that perspective, we're able to maintain really um, good, I would say communications discipline. It sounds a bit draconian, but it's not. I mean, we have a brand. Um, we have personalities who have their own brands. We want to make sure that everybody is well served um, and that, you know, listeners understand who they're hearing about, that brands know who they're dealing with. Um, so it's a it's a tight process. And, uh, you know, a lot of my team I've worked with for many years and we've been together through uh, a lot of changes in the company. When I joined the company and I've been at this company for a relatively long time, um, 12 plus years now, um, it was clear channel radio mm-hmm. and they had brought in, you know, a guy by the name of Bob Pittman, who I had worked with in the past. And Bob was brought in as a non-executive chairman to take a look at their digital assets and see what they had. And he said, do you guys understand what you have here? Look at the brands, look at the platform, look at, and, you know, and I had worked with him and he said, Hey, want to come over and check this out? And I said, yes, I would. And so uh, I came over and within probably six or seven months, um, we launched the iHeartRadio app and service. We launched it with a two day iHeartRadio music festival in Las Vegas, which had, you know, so these things kind of. Um, I remember that it was a big yeah. event. It was, it was a huge event and it's annual now. And now it's sort of established. But at that point in time, it was, hey, people say no one's going to come to Las Vegas for an event in the fall. So we'll make it two days. And everybody, that was huge. Uh, it was huge and very popular. And, uh, you know, from there, we built a number of the platforms, right? So the whole digital platform, um, every radio station now has the tag. It's their brand. But then after the brand, is an iHeartRadio station. And so it went from Clear Channel Radio to Clear Channel Media and Entertainment to iHeartMedia in the space of three years. And the company has continued to change and evolve uh, to meet whatever consumers want from us. 
And when you think about that brand, and you're right, it is a brand that that pretty much everybody knows at this point, but how do you think about your B2B customer audience versus building the brand with consumers? And is it important to build the brand with consumers when you have the local radio stations and the personalities already sort of interfacing with them? Oh, absolutely. You know, a brand is not something that you want to uh, take for granted. You want to make sure that your audiences know who they're talking to. They have They have trust in you. They feel connected to you. You need to earn that every day. And our people know that every day they are there. They never phone it in. They are always there. They're always reaching out. They're always, you know, they're they're literally serving the communities. We put out um, a community impact report every year. And it is huge. And it details all of the ways our stations and markets interact and serve their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that falls under my, my division as well, which is community engagement. So you, and you've used that word many times now. It's clear it, it you mean it and it's central, right? Communities. Mm-hmm. Um, 100%. But you also, but so you also we, reach 90% of America. Correct. And 90% of America, these are communities, right? These are not 90% of individuals. These are 90% of people in communities across the country. Um, and that accounts for the enormously diverse kinds of content that we have on our stations, the different kinds of formats, the different personalities, our talk personalities, because you're not going to get one size fits all. This is America. We have a million different interests and we try and serve as, as many as we can and you know meet consumers where they are. And by connecting with them, we're able to connect them you know, from, to your point earlier, from a B2B perspective, with marketers who want to reach uh, these consumers, whether it's local businesses, car dealerships, local, you know, small businesses and shops, promotions, um, giveaways to big national advertisers with big brands. So, and I'm glad you went there on, you know, the diversity of your audience, right? Um, now, what happens and how do you navigate it when you have either a constituency that may be an external group, you know, interest group or an internal employee constituency, and they feel very strongly that you should take a stand on a topic and as iHeartMedia. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know that let's just call it 50% of America feels one way and 50% feels the other way. And you have all of them in your audience. That's What's right. your process for navigating that? Well, in terms of, of navigating, it depends really what the issue is. If it's something that is uh, clearly um, sort of against our internal code of conduct, like this is not something our company stands for or would support, then we'll deal with it one way. If it's people who say, we don't like this guy and what he said, we will take a look at what they say. And if it is totally appropriate to the time, the audience, the content, then we'll say, you know, thank you. We appreciate hearing from you. Um Sometimes people say the wrong things, right? And mm-hmm. with um, 860 radio stations, that happens. Um, but we work as, you know, we respond very, very quickly um, to make it right. Um, on big issues, we don't, you know, we don't come out on big issues. We don't take a stand politically, for example, because that's not our mission, right? Our mission is to serve communities, to serve America. Um, and that is sort of the multiplicity of America. Um, so we don't take a stand here and not take one here. We, you know, we, for example, during the um, pandemic, 
we were probably the number one media source of information about where to get vaccines. That is a public health issue. And we will 100% be out there on that. Our personalities felt very strongly. We felt very strongly that was a key part of our mission. We worked, for example, with HHS to help them get the word out. Um, but you know, if it's not something that impacts sort of that kind of, of broad picture, then we don't take a public position because that's not our role. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to I want to actually go back to something you said before the pandemic in an interview you gave. You said something to the effect of the same number of people listen to radio every week today as did in 1970. That is absolutely true. Um, the numbers have not changed. Um, so th- people- this does feel like it flies in the face of like common, you know, like perceptions about time we spend in cars and those kinds of things. But can you can you unpack that for us? <laughs> and there's there's the challenge, right? That is a big part of the communications challenge, which is to say to people who are used at this point to saying, "Oh, look, a shiny object." To saying, "Yes, that is a shiny object," but here is an object that has been around since you know for over a hundred years: broadcast radio. And people still tune in every day, rely on broadcast radio, and you know. Radio has the advantage when, for example, so think about disasters, power goes up. What else goes out? All your electricity, right? It means all your Wi-Fi, all your tech goes down. But you know what doesn't go down? Broadcast radio. The mm-hmm. number of people who can only get information from radios or their car radio mm-hmm. um, is enormous. And also, you know, you sort of hear from people and, you know, we think about them on the coasts, for example, but it doesn't take into account the entire rest of the country. And this is, it's actually interesting. Last week, uh, the Senate passed a bill called um, AM for Every Vehicle Act. And this came about because I think some, some automotive companies Uh, said they would no longer be including AM radio in their new models or EVs. And, you know, we heard about this and we thought, well, let's, you know, there's no substitute, right? There is no substitute for broadcast radio on a number of fronts. And so it turns out that two senators from markedly different sides of the aisle, Senator Ted Cruz from Texas and Senator Ed Markey from Massachusetts, co-sponsored this bill that every new car must have AM radio available. Wow. At no additional charge. So that's, that was just last week. And so So now was this this a concerted public affairs effort or was this just, this was, you know, we, we good fortune. (laughs) Yeah. No, no, we, we did work. We have a, an association called the national association of broadcasters. And because people would not perhaps be aware they uh, they did some sort of uh, consciousness raising, you know, just there was some on-air messaging saying, hey, if you feel strongly about keeping AM radio in your vehicles, get in touch with your elected representative. And the amount of individual communications from people across the country was enormous. I mean, it, people don't ordinarily get in touch with their senators or representatives, right? So, you know, you get maybe tens of thousands, we had hundreds of thousands of responses 
um, wow. from people who are saying, do not, you know, farmers who on their tractors, they don't replace these every year. They don't right. want, you know, they don't have signal. And they rely on AM radio for crop reports, just things like that. It's not just disasters, it's, it's everyday life. And so um, this got, like I said, enormous bipartisan support. So, and this is because people across the country stood up and said, don't take away my AM radio, We, I need it. And the no extra charge was an important thing because there are some EVs that, you know, removed uh, radio and then charged people for giving it back. And oh, you, interesting. Yeah. And broadcast radio is free over the air to all. Yep. No subscription, no fancy, you know, equipment. So, you know, it was a, a very big deal. So you can see just from that response how important it is to everyday people. Just yep. living their lives well, across the country. You, you've drawn an important distinction a couple of times about the coasts versus, you know, this being a very large country. And it's something I relate to having grown up in Iowa and worked summers in cornfields, um, even though I'm sitting here in New York City now. Uh, we all grew up somewhere. Right? It's not. But, but, you know, there there is there is something to be said for um, the agency landscape doesn't seem to be producing content at the same rate or recommending, you know, advertising through radio or, or earned, you know, um, radio efforts to the same rate, you know, that they do with, um, you know, other other media formats. I would imagine this is is one of the sort of reasons why or or the inspiration behind you launching Ruby. Um, is that something that maybe you could just share a little bit more about uh, in terms of why you created in house studio, how it works with brands, those kinds of things? Sure. So it's part of our, our podcast platform. And as you noted, sort of at the, at the beginning, we have um, an enormous podcast platform. You know, we're the number one podcast publisher in America. Um, and I think we have more than more than the number two and number three podcasters combined every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ruby was sort of a natural outgrowth of that. The Ruby studio is for brands to work on podcasts, you know, like uh, that align very closely, you know, they have great content, interesting topics, but that align with the brands themselves, right? So that is, it was, you know, we did a few and the response was really great. And so we thought, well, let's put together a studio as part of our podcast initiative that allows brands to work with us to create those opportunities. And, uh, you know, again, the response has been great. So as an element of our, of our overall podcast platform, I think it's been really successful. And, uh, you know, we continue to look for great partners to work with. Um, I mean, you think about all the things that are talked about at all the conferences, you know, you've got social media, you know, you've got, I mean, audio, I mean, certainly Clubhouse has sort of had its day, <laughs> um, but audio has been, you know, in and out of the, the, the conversation, the conferences, influencers, you know, certainly a part of the conversation, sponsored media, certainly a part of the conversation. And you've got it all wrapped up in one sort of like tight little box there with with what you're doing. So I have to imagine that's a growth engine. Yeah, it has been, you know, and the great thing about the company is that if somebody it's, a you know, we cover the waterfront, like you said, in terms of platforms and content and content types. But if somebody has an idea and they say, hey, I think this could be really interesting and successful. And what do you think about trying it out? Um, 
and that's kind of how Ruby came about, right? And it has gotten, you know, a real traction. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, if for a big company to also be nimble, like a startup, that's something that's been ingrained in the company um, mm-hmm. from the beginning. And, you know, it's also how one thing that I've learned from working with Bob Pittman for as long as I have is you always listen to the consumer. The consumer will tell you what they want. They don't want things that are complicated. They don't want a lot of buttons to push. They don't want, you know, to take seven different steps and go to three different screens. They want it to be easy and they want it to be convenient. And so everything we do, we look at through that lens. How do we make podcasting easy and convenient for people? How do we make, you know, accessing everything we do easy and convenient? And, uh, you know, I think that what sometimes gets lost when people look at new shiny objects and technologies is it's not a benefit to be harder to use, to be, to have, a, you know, an enormous feature set that nobody really is asking for. Uh, make it easy, make it convenient. And, you know, the mass market consumer um, will appreciate it. Well, and that, that simplicity and personalization and kind of going direct to consumer, I mean, that's been what, how basically every major industry has been upended by consumerization is they're looking for simpler, more personalized and fewer middlemen, mm-hmm. right? And so you're basically saying, well, that's what the business is inherently. It is, yeah. And, you know, you, you don't want to hear from a lot of people. You want to hear from a few trusted voices. That's our DJs and our personalities, you know, you want it to be easy to use. That's what we do. You have, you want to be able to promote it to the largest number of people, which is broadcast radio. If you look at how we built our podcast business, we marketed the podcasts on broadcast and we still do that. And we are able to drive up the number of downloads per podcast episodes that are promoted on, on radio. Right. So it's that kind of synergy between the platforms that also makes a difference. Yep. And that's a great um, asset to have when it comes to promoting new lines of business. Um, So let's talk a little bit about I mean, you obviously have Hollywood talent. You have also um, a massive content library. Um, We're in the summer of 2023. So, of course, what conversation would this be if we weren't talking about generative AI at some point or another? You've taken a stand about ChatGPT, right? Not using ChatGPT on company devices. Um, Many other companies have taken a similar stance. Others are sort of taking a wait and see. Um, Can you give us a sense on like, how do you think about AI and and how or will it be integrated into iHeart sort of, you know, capabilities moving forward and um, maybe even some of the the risks or dangers that have led to you um, taking the stance you have right now? Yeah, well, it's a you know the the risks. First of all, let's start with the you know the opportunities, and we think that AI could be a real game changer, but it's not going to be a game changer because we are replacing voices on the radio, right? We're not going to sub in technology for humans. People don't bond with technology; they bond with humans. And also, if you put some a voice on there that people think is real, and then you're like, surprise, it's, you know, it's AI, they will get mad at you. Nobody likes to be fooled, right? Well, Spotify had that, right? Not podcasters, but with uh, basically fake music with yeah. fake bands, and they got in a lot of trouble for it. 
People don't like being fooled and they don't want to hear from machines. They want to hear from people. They connect with people. The way we see and think about AI right now from a company perspective is it will essentially serve as an assistant making people's lives easier. You know, people saying, well, I need to do some research, right? Give that to your your AI assistant and they can speed through that process for you. And then you can get on with, you know, the, the rest of the work. Um, so it's not that it's going to replace, it would replace sort of the, um, I would say the, the, you know, the, I don't want to, like the scut work, the everyday tasks that you have to do, but that slow you up, but have to be done. So you can just say, hey, I need this and it will go get you that. But in terms of um, replacing people, we're not looking for yep. it to do that. Um, for the reasons I mentioned. And, you know, I would say that we will be creating our own sort of internal AI for people to use rather than being out there and just chat GPT and putting potentially um, company information and letting the AI learn from our own company information, which is not anything we want to do. Mm -hmm. So, all right, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, 12 years at, at iHeart and a long, you know, um, accomplished career ahead of that. If you were to give advice today, let's say you were speaking to a class of recent graduates or, you know, sort of early career, um, you know, uh, potential employees, um, what advice would you give them about the skills they should develop, you know, or the, or the perspectives they should embrace? Um, I think... You know, one thing, and, and this is based on my experience, it's all, if somebody says, can you do this? Or can we do this? It, the easiest thing is to say, no, no, we can't do that. <laughs> but uh, just take a minute, slow down and say, yeah, let me think about that for a minute. And that is something that I have had to learn myself. And I have learned it over the years because, you know, when you get super busy and someone comes to you and says, what about this? Your first thing is like, no, I just can't, I can't do one more thing, but just slow down a minute, breathe for a second and say, you know what, Let, let's think about that. Let's toss that around. Because another thing I've noticed is that people are there to help you. Um, and it's, it's realizing that you generally have that kind of support if you're lucky enough to work at a company like I am that you can rely on people to take a minute to talk to you to give you information advice um and you know I, I think having been in the workforce for as long as I have and had such a big part of my identity be basically going into the office I think that what my takeaway from the pandemic and the, you know, the, the lockdown and all that is that you don't have to be in a certain place to do your best work. I don't, you know, from my team's perspective, certainly there are uh, disciplines where you do need to be in an office setting, but from my perspective, it's, you need to be where you can do your best work. And as you do that work, and I tell this to my team also, it's part of, of what I tell them as they're, when I do their annual reviews, it's that you have to find something and be able to give yourself time for something that brings you joy. We work a lot 
We work all the time. We work really hard and there's always something going on and there will always be something going on. But if you can give yourself a little time and do something that you say, you know, I loved that. Um, it will make you happier in your job, happier in your workplace and just your life. You'll feel uh, like you have a, a more balanced life because there's no, I, I am a firm believer that there is no such thing as work-life balance. You have to be able to live your life in a way that serves you well, how yep. you work and how you live. You know, that's something you need to create for yourself and figure the best way for yourself, but there's, there's no balance. Um, I'm the single mom of a boy who is now 12 and, you know, he grew up seeing his mom in the office all the time. And he sees his mom when I'm working from home, seeing me at home and, uh, you know, and he's there, he's going into the seventh grade. I need to be there for him as well. So I need to be able to integrate all that for myself. And that integration is such a good word. It's, you know, work-life integration is probably a better way of thinking about it than work-life balance. I was going to say, when, when people ask me to speak on panels and things like that, for the longest time, they only wanted me to talk about, I think, I don't know if it's having a woman on a panel or whatever, but they only wanted me to talk about work-life balance. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, and I, said, I, I can't, I cannot do that panel because I don't have anything to say about, you know, but there's so much more than work-life <laughs> balance and I can go on and on about that, but that is not what you want. Yeah. So I, got, I got one more question for you and it might be a little bit of a doozy, so we'll see. But as someone who is responsible for earned media, at a company whose business is selling paid media, I feel like you have a unique position on this, right? And we are, we're big believers in earned first creative, which basically means come up with the PR idea first, and then you can advertise that later. Um, but where do you stand on this idea of, you know, sort of a traditional approach to advertising, leading the brand and being supported by PR versus this newer idea of, it being earned, led, and then advertising playing a supporting role? You know, I think it's a combination of both because you need both and a sort of a dual approach in order to reach all of the different constituencies that you need to reach. So, you know, we need to promote our products and platforms. Um, and we do that through, you know, the, the everyday heavy lifting of strategic communications and PR. Um, we also work very closely with advertising partners because we get so much media um, for our own things and what we do. A big selling point of doing a deal with us is often we want to do some kind of announcement with you um, as a key part of, you know, of the, getting the deal done. And we'll take a look at it. And we work closely with advertisers. We work with for our events. We work with artists. We work with partners who do, you know, uh, our sponsorships at our events. We cover the waterfront on all of that. And then on our own marketing stuff, you know, we, a lot of the marketing, we don't market as necessarily ourselves as iHeart Media, because that is not the consumer brand. It's iHeartRadio. And we market to advertisers as iHeartMedia, and we tell them about the benefits, for example, of marketing with iHeart, the people we reach, the platforms we have, the ad tech we have. Um, so with all of these different audiences, it's important to be flexible. 
and to be able to communicate on all these different levels. Um, and I think that, you know, more and more, uh, some of the, the traditional stuff has fallen by the wayside a little bit, because when you look at, um, you know, digital companies or digital first companies, they don't do it that same way anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, their audience isn't the same as our audience. Yep. Yep. I think that's, I think that's well said. And I think that the, the emphasis on flexibility is well taken as well. So, um, so uh, look, Wendy, I just wanted to say thank you so much. This has been great um, hearing your thoughts on everything ranging from, you know, advice to recent grads through, um, you know, the integration of work life, the integration of paid and earned, and all of the things that you have going um, as essentially the number one media platform in the country. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Thank you. I appreciate being with you. All right. Thanks, as always, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, why not share with your friends and colleagues on LinkedIn? Don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Lippy Taylor. That's L-I-P-P-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R. And to learn more about us and our agency, visit us at LippyTaylor.com. Thank you for listening to Frictionless Marketing. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to check out Paul's best-selling book, Friction Fatigue, What the Failure of Advertising Means for Future-Focused Brands. In Friction Fatigue, Paul explains to readers why advertising is broken and provides a frictionless marketing framework to help build your brand in an era where advertising is no longer the answer. You'll learn how to protect your business against competitors and lead the pack with fresh marketing strategies that will help you prepare for a future where the consumer rules. Friction Fatigue is now available on Amazon and as a book on tape on audible.com. Thanks again for listening.